Well, it is just a great day to be in the house of the Lord today. A meaningful experience. I pray that you'll prepare your heart as we worship together. We sing Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you stand together as we sing Hosanna.
Thank you. You may be seated. So good to see you on this Palm Sunday. As the pastor mentioned, we'll be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And so we want to get all the announcements out of the way right here at the beginning. So here they are, all of you that fall asleep before I start talking normally. You might actually hear me. Here we go. You'll find in your order of worship or your bulletin, there is a blue communication card. We're going to collect those at the end of the service. If you're a guest, we ask that you would fill those out so we can learn more about you and how we can minister to you. And everybody is welcome to put prayer requests on there. Our prayer room prays for those and the staff prays for those as well. Next week is Easter, if that makes sense, since we're doing Palm Sunday today. And just remind you that the best invitation of anybody coming to church is not all the billboards and the commercials, but it's just simply each one of us inviting somebody to join us next week. And so at all the exits, you'll find this small card that you can pass out and help you as you invite others. Here's what we need to do. All of us in the room... We need to take three of these cards, because we don't need any left, put them in your pocket, and as you go around this week, invite somebody to join you next week, and you can hand that to them as a reminder to do that. And then also with the Lord's Supper, we always end the Lord's Supper service by taking a benevolence offering, and so there'll be people at the doors as you leave, and all that money is used to help those in our community and needs. So we ask that you would participate in that as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together and to worship you and to give you praise as we celebrate today what you did while you were here on earth, how you lived, how you died for us. And I pray that we would hear that message today. So I pray in Christ's name, amen. It is always good to be reminded that the cross is empty. Amen? The tomb is empty. We're going to sing some great hymns of our faith. I want you to sing strongly together. Let's stand and sing at the cross.
Pray with me, will you? Dear Heavenly Father, we are reminded of the cross today. And because of the cross, we can have eternal life. So we praise you. We do praise you today. And we're so grateful to be in this place which is dedicated to worship and praise you, our Lord. As we receive the offering, may it go to causes throughout the world, all to bring more people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. Bless us and guide us throughout the service that we may have a spirit of worship and a strong sense of your divine presence. For we ask in the name of Christ, amen.
Today we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and that's a very special time, and it's neat that we've been able to have in this service both ordinances that the Lord gave us, the ordinance of baptism and then the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. An ordinance is uh, something that we do because Jesus commanded us to do it. It's not something we do in order to earn our salvation. Rather, it's something we do to affirm our salvation and to be obedient to the Lord. And so the Lord has given us two things that he said we should do, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the first ordinance that we participate in as believers. And as a believer, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're baptized in obedience to show people what has already happened in your heart. And then that's the only time you're baptized. We only baptize once. But we participate in the Lord's Supper over and over and over again as a repeated testimony of what Jesus has done and as a declaration of our hope of his second coming. For if he did what he promised to do the first time, he'll continue to do what he promised to do in the future. Preparation for the celebration of the Lord's table is very important. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 29, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians these words. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So therefore, before we partake of the Lord's table today, we need to think about how we come to the table. And there's basically two different views from which we can come and view this table. The first is from the view of Pontius Pilate. As the Jewish leaders sought to silence Jesus, uh, more and more it came to the place where they realized the only way they were going to silence Jesus was to have him put to death. And so they waited and they watched and they looked for that opportunity, but their job got a little easier when Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' apostles, went to them and said, I'll give you over to him if you'll give me 30 pieces of silver. And so they set up a, a time and a place that that would take place. Judas then waited for that appropriate time to come. On the night before Jesus died, the Lord and his disciples celebrated what would be their last supper together, that special meal that we remember today. And while they were enjoying that meal, Jesus, knowing what Judas was going to do, said, what you plan to do, go ahead and do quickly. And he sent Judas away, and Judas went and contacted the religious leaders. Meanwhile, Jesus and his disciples finished the meal. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed to prepare himself for the hours that would come. And soon enough, Judas came in with the Roman guard and the religious leaders and turned Jesus over to them. They arrested Jesus, and after a mock trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and also a trial before Caiaphas, the evil high priest, the Jews took Jesus to Pontius Pilate for a trial because only the Romans could put someone to death. And so Pontius Pilate heard the accusations against Jesus, and as he listened, he found nothing to make Jesus guilty 
much less worthy of death. And so the Gospel of Matthew records an incident that no other Gospels record. All of the Gospels tell us about the trial before Pontius Pilate, but only Matthew tells us about the basin of Pilate. In Matthew 27, 22 through 30, we read, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. You see, the problem with Pilate is that he had a chance to believe, but he refused to do so. All he wanted to do was to distance himself from Jesus, whoever he was. And he literally washed his hands of Jesus. Some of you say with your lives, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I want to wash my hands of Jesus. You, like Pilate, know about him. You even know more than Pilate. You have heard that he is the Son of God. You know that he's the Savior of the world. You know that he rose on the third day and that he's alive today. And yet, like Pilate, you say, I wash my hands of this man. You know, that's a tragic place to be. Because you see, it means that you face life without Jesus. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And yet when you wash your hands of Jesus, you reject that abundant life. But even more so, Jesus came to give us eternal life. You know, you can build a pretty good life for yourself even without Jesus. But that life will only outlast, what, 80 years maybe? But eternity is eternity. It's forever. And Jesus wants to not only give you life abundantly now, but eternal life forever. And you see, the Bible tells us that if we wash our hands of Jesus in this life, then he'll have to wash his hands of us in eternity. For Matthew 10, 32 through 33 says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. The view of Pilate is one way to view the supper. And there are some of us in this room who at least came here today viewing the supper in that way. The alternate view of how to view the Lord's Supper is by the basin of Jesus. You see, earlier that same night, before the trial, before, Je before Pilate, before Judas's betrayal, and even before Jesus took bread and broke it as we were celebrating the Lord's table, the Gospel of John tells us of a very special thing that Jesus did for his disciples. In John chapter 13, we read, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is already clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Though this is also a basin and a water and a towel, this is a far different basin than the basin of Pilate. Standing at this basin gives you a completely different view of the Lord's table. Many of you, perhaps most of you here today, actually stand here. You hope to emulate the example of Jesus. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to follow him. Following him means that you're taking upon yourself the humility and the servanthood that Jesus displayed that night there as he washed his disciples' feet. The Lord of the universe washing the feet of his disciples. The picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet at that Passover meal is vital in that he told Peter, you don't need to be washed all over, but you do need to be cleansed. You see, for those of us who come to the table from this view, we don't need a bath. We've been saved. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we do need to be cleansed. We do have sins that need to be confessed and forgiven. We don't need salvation, but we need that continued sanctification that comes as we continue to walk with God. Each one of us who comes to this table today comes from one of these two basin behaviors. Those who come from uh, the perspective of Pilate come needing salvation. Those who come from the basin of Jesus need only forgiveness. But the basins remind us that all of us need something today. And those who stand at the basin of Pilate, I pray that you have an opportunity today to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for you see, as long as you wash your hands of Jesus, you're putting into effect what Scripture says, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. 
But if you will turn and receive Christ, that same verse in Romans continues and says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you can have that opportunity today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so as you go through this service, watch and observe. Reflect upon what Jesus did for you and for me and for all of us. For that is the purpose of this table. It's to remind us. And it's to be a great testimony of what can be done in your life if it hasn't happened already. And when you come to that point where you're ready to receive Jesus, all you must do is admit that you're a sinner and you need him to come into your life. And to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come. I want you to be my Savior and take away my sins. And I want you to be my Lord and lead my life. I give it over to you now. If you're coming to this table from the basin of Pilate, I pray that you'll make that shift to the other side. But for those of us coming from the basin of Jesus, there's something that we need to do as well. And that is to come and to confess our sins before the Lord and to make sure that we are ready to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper so that we might follow Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians. So as we prepare for the supper, may I invite you who are on the ground floor to kneel there where you are and join me in kneeling. And those of you in the balcony, if you want to kneel out in the aisle or if you just want to make your lap, your altar there, you can do that as well. But let's take the posture of humility today. And I'm going to lead us through a time of confession and repentance as we get ready for this time of the Lord's Supper. You know, self-examination reveals our sin. It encourages repentance. It underscores the need for God's grace. And so being right with God means first that you're a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And if you've not accepted Christ, I hope you would do that this morning. And in these moments, as we reflect upon our lives, you might want to do that even now. But being right with God also means that you're being obedient to him. And that involves confessing other sin. It means being right with your fellow man, having your relationships right. So that you can fully and completely focus on remembering Christ's sacrifice for you today. And so may we go into an attitude of prayer as I ask these questions and read these scriptures. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? The second question is, do you put God first in your life? Matthew 6.33 challenges us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Do you put God first in your life? Do you need an attitude check? Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, 
along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you need an attitude check? Have you eliminated selfishness? Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you eliminated selfishness in your life? Do you need to mend a relationship? Colossians 3, 13 through 14 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you need to mend a relationship? Our Father, we come before you this morning knowing that there are things in our lives that are not always right. Lord, even if we woke up this morning and confessed our sins to you and left our home today completely forgiven and a clean slate, something's probably happened between then and now that needs to be laid before you. Something in our thoughts, something in our words, something in our deeds. And so, Lord, right now we come before you with open hearts. And we ask as David did in the psalm, Lord, know our heart. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, and though you know every deep, dark recess of our heart, we pray, Lord, if there's any way you could know us more, that you would do that. For, Lord, we want to be clean before you as we remember what you did that helped us to be clean. So, Lord, we confess our sins to you and we come before you with grateful hearts, receiving that forgiveness, knowing that you say in your word in 1 John that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, right now we receive that forgiveness and we prepare ourselves to partake of this Lord's table. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for salvation that we celebrate today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you remain kneeling, we're going to sing this great song that teaches us about the Lord's table. This may be the first time you've ever sung this song on your knees. But it says, let us break bread together on our knees. May we sing together. Let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees, with my Oh
This is the body that was torn for us. This is the blood that was spilled. Points to the pain you endured for us. Points to the shame, the blame, the guilt. Do you remember? On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came... Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, 
The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. As Jesus gathered there with his disciples that night and they celebrated that Passover meal, Jesus looked at those common everyday elements that they had at every meal, but especially at this one Passover meal. And that matzah that was laying before him was pierced for baking. It was bruised from the baking process. And as he looked at that bread, he saw in it a picture of what was going to happen to him. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you take the bread in just a moment and as you hold it in your hands, reflect upon what it means for you. That Jesus took the punishment for your sins and my sins upon you. And his body was broken for you and for me so that our sins might be forgiven. Harry, would you please offer a word of prayer for us? Our Father, as we pause here in this remembrance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, may we recognize the sacrifice that he made for us, a sacrifice which atoned for not just my sin, but the sin of all mankind who would be willing to accept the gift that has been given. May we remember, Father, and in our own way, we're not capable of being grateful enough, but may we be grateful this morning in our hearts for what Christ did for us. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And as he looked at that cup and peered down into it, he saw a great visual symbol of what was about to take place, that his blood would be shed for all of us. And so he said, do this in remembrance of me, for his blood was shed for us. As you take this cup and as you hold it in your hands and as you peer into it, take time to reflect upon what it cost Jesus for you to experience the salvation that you so greatly enjoy. Harry, would you lead us in prayer? Father, again, as we take of the cup, we remember the suffering of Jesus on the cross, how he shed his blood, and that blood became the atonement for our sins. May we never forget. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see.
Jesus said, this is the cup of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. In that passage I read from Matthew, it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so we wanted to sing a song of celebration, reminding ourselves of what the Lord has done for us. So would you all stand as we sing this song of celebration before we have our time of invitation? And deacons, you may go back to your families. Thank you so much.
Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. You have heard the gospel presented this morning. You've seen what all God has done for us. And so if you've never trusted the Lord as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life over to him yet, I pray that today would be that day. We told you how to do that earlier. Just simply ask him in your heart, praying and saying, Lord, I need you to come into my heart. I confess my sins before you. Would you come in and be my Savior, taking my sins away and also becoming my Lord, to be my Lord, my master, the ruler and God of my life. We invite you to come and to trust Jesus Christ today. And it may also be that you've been praying for the Lord and praying to the Lord and asking him to guide you to a church home. And as you've been praying, the Lord has said, First Baptist Pineville is where I want you to plant your life. And so this would be a great time for us to welcome you into this church family. We're going to stand in just a moment after I pray and have a song of invitation, another song of worship. And during that time, if the Lord has spoken to you about making a public decision for him, would you come forward and let me know what that decision is? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we come before you seeking your face this day and asking you to move in our midst. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for showing us in such a wonderful way what you did for us 2,000 years ago. May it be written on our hearts during this time. Lord, for those who have yet to receive you, who those who entered this service from the place of Pilate, I pray, God, that you would help them to receive you today. And may the others make steps to follow you in their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing this song of invitation, would you allow the Lord to bless your life as you follow him in obedience? Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship him. The sun. 